Yes, that's right. When you hear that music, it, you know you're in for a treat because it's another week of the Rec Poker Podcast Forums Edition. I'm your host, Jim Reed, sound cue nailer extraordinaire and member of the Wrecking Crew here at Rec Poker. Uh, I'm Bluff Serini in the home games, and you can learn more about me by going to rec.poker slash crew. Um, or you can learn about the rest of the Wrecking Crew, or you could just listen up right now because I'm going to introduce them, and then you can learn more about them in real time. Uh, crew, please save me. Tell the Wreck Poker Nation something about yourself. I, I'm Chris Jones. <laughs> I'm 5x5 five five on Poker Stars and Twitter. I'm John Somsky, and I'm Poker Geek MN everywhere. I'm Kim Kilroy. I'm Fergie56 on Stars and Pet Pet everywhere else. And I'd like to thank uh, Running Aces Hotel, Racetrack, and Casino, and of course, website AMP for making this possible uh, every week. I have the best job in the world. Every week I hang out with this gang. Uh, we're playing in the nightly rec poker home game where we try and steal each other's chips and earn one of these fantastic rec poker pins, whether it has an asterisk or not, John. Uh, and of course, just like every week, we're going to take a post from the rec.poker forums and bring it here on the uh, show to talk about. So this week, we're taking a, a post by Dan W. Uh, Dan W. is a premium member who's gotten into poker relatively recently. Uh, they say here in the post, they're a new ACR player and a new MTT player in the last year. And uh, wondering how to um, approach a certain spot based on their knowledge of the player pool and MTTs. It's a, it's a fairly common um, situation that we all hate to find ourselves in where we have king-king preflop. So obviously we're entitled to the hand. We're supposed to win the hand, but luck gets in the way uh, and throws an ace out on the flop. And that makes us feel uncomfortable. And it's kind of hard to proceed in, in a value sense in that way. So um, why don't I take us a little bit through the action here and then we can sort of talk about it as a group. Basically, we are... 20th of 35 left in a 6k guaranteed ACR tournament. We're already in the money. Um, and we used to have the chip lead, boo-hoo. Although, Dan, I tell you, man, all that matters is how you started that hand. Don't even worry about it. if before you used to have these chips and now you have these. If you're listening behind, that first one was a little higher. <laughs> Or uh, if, again, for our listeners, my hand's about to be a little lower here, but if you used to have this number of chips, now you have this higher number of chips, that's all really irrelevant. Just think about at the beginning of the hand, what was your chip stack? Um, what was your position? What are the ranges you can put your opponents on? And uh, really just focus on where you are right now in that spot. And I know you know that already, Dan, but I'm just saying that for all the rest of our listeners here. So we have 15 big blinds in under the gun plus one, and we wake up with pocket kings. Fantastic. One of my favorite hands. Uh, this seems like the big double I need to get back in final table contention, says Dan. So pre-flop, he's thinking about an open jam here, but the poker coaching GTO charts, which I rely on, have most of the premiums as a raise. And when he says that, it just means the difference between limping, raising not all in, and raising all in, which would be a jam here. Um, I'm not sure if the player pool or the spot in the tournament should change these calculations. Um, and that's a great question. We always should be thinking about player pool tendencies when we decide our actions and the sizings that we take. So we can talk a little bit here just generally about what our options might be. I think as a group, let's just chat a little here. 15 big blinds, under the gun plus one, pocket kings, in the money, on our way to the final table. To me, 
this is either and and I could honestly I could make an argument for any of these either a limp or a 2x raise or sometimes a shove depending on who's uh who else is at the table does anyone else here have sort of a a default because of course it's all going to depend on the spot but is there like a default position to play pocket kings in early position with 15 big blinds I think it depends a lot on the table. So, and it also depends on if you think you have an edge over your opponents at the table. Mm. So if I feel that I do not have an edge over my opponents at the table, I will jam this every time. I will just open shove it at 15 big blinds. If I think I have an edge in this game, then I'm more likely to min raise. If I have a bunch of opponents that are raising to limps, then I would consider a limp here as well. Yep, I like that. I think that, and I, I like that. And I think the important thing to do is just make sure that you are considering those options. Because mm-hmm. I think there is this tendency that I see, especially among recreational players, is they sort of hit this magical, you know, whether it's 20 or 15 big blind line. And they're like, oh, now I'm in the shover fold range, you know, and they have an entire range. It's just, this is what I do. And I shove or I fold. And um, I think it's potentially helpful. Now you're going to get yourselves into spots exactly like the one we're going to cover here. And <laughs> so you're going to get yourselves into thorny, complicated, you know, ace high flops when you have Kings and that kind of thing. But I think it is helpful. You can earn more chips. You can potentially extract more chips with a hand like pocket Kings. If you're able to sometimes not just shove them in the middle, because you're, because if you're shoving them in the middle, what's going to happen a lot is what you want to have happen when you've got like King 10 suited, right. Is like a lot of people are going to fold. Um, and you don't necessarily just want everyone to fold when you've got a hand as strong as Kings. Yeah, exactly. I couldn't agree more. Um, so, what uh and, and Dan Dan mentioned in the post, uh he feels like he's still you know mastering the game. He's got he's got some uh lessons to learn. So I think um, you know, Dan and then you know, Dan mentions these preflop uh charts from poker coaching and poker coaching is a great program, they're they're a sponsor. Uh Jonathan Little's a fantastic coach and all that ma- all those all those uh ranges are solved. They're not it's not like they're mathematically profitable to play in that way uh, in situations where everyone else is also playing that way. Uh, and that's something that recreational players in particular, we need to think about are the players that we're playing against actually playing in a GTO way? Probably not. So the question is what are the ways that we can deviate from our GTO ranges to exploit them to the maximum? And it's going to be in spots like this typically where, uh, well, we'll get into we'll get into it, but this is the kind of spot where I think you can play exploitatively with a limp or a two x, and shoving um, uh, does just kind of chase some of the worst hands out of there in the player pools that we're talking about. So one thing uh, I'll say to Dan: so Dan opens to two point five big blinds, and we've talked about bet sizing and open raise sizing a lot. I, I know I bang this drum a lot on the show. If you're playing a hundred big blind. Uh, poker, you should be opening to 3x. If you get down to 50, 40 big blinds, opening to 2.5 is perfectly helpful. It's great. You still get to leverage your opponent's entire uh, stack, but you don't have to lose as much when you're folding preflop. 
by the time you get down to 25, 30, 25, 20 big blinds, you should really be down to like 2.2, 2.1 big blinds. And when you're in this kind of uh, territory, I would be only opening to 2x with any of my opens. I'd either be limping or opening to 2x or shoving. 2.5 big blinds, it sounds like not a big deal, but 2.5 big blinds is just objectively, I think it's just the wrong size to use here um, with my entire range. Maybe it's not actually that bad a size to use with pocket kings, but I, I'd rather just be playing my entire range as a 2x open here. Does anyone else have like thresholds where they like to deviate from 2.5 to two and a quarter or 2.0? Is there like a number of big blinds that stand out to you in that way? I'm I'm down to 2.2, sometimes 2.3, uh, under 50. Yeah. And then under, it's probably under 30, 25 to 30, I'm down to two, yeah. to the min raise. Yeah. Yeah, I play a 2.1 sometimes in that sort of like 18 to 30 range, but it's mostly 2x by the time I'm, I'm done that far. I, I would say 50 to 100, I'm 2.5, and over 100, I might go to 3. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Cool. So uh, as played, yeah, Dan, I think you can save yourself an extra half big blind there, which when you have 15 big blinds, you know, 1 30th of your stack isn't nothing to just keep in your pocket. Um, so we get a call from the big blind with a stack of 17 big blinds, so they slightly cover us. We have 28 players, um, 28 hands on this player, not much to go by, but they're playing a 18-11, uh, and so we could we could assume that they're relatively tagged, but it's just not really enough to go off at this point. So we can't really make any assumptions. The flop comes eight of diamonds, ace of spades, four of clubs, <laughs> and as Dan says in the post, not what we wanted. <laughs> Uh, the big blind checks, which we expect them to do with uh, virtually their entire range at this point. Is this a flop that we want to be seabedding in this exact spot? Does anyone have a take on this? Chris, you look like you've got some wisdom to share. Uh, I really like a check back here. Um, this is uh, in the post it talks about, well, I think it caps my range, but one of the things to really think about is I don't think it does. Um, um, and I think we should be capable of checking back ace X here uh, quite frequently. I think this is a board we should be checking quite frequently uh, simply because we're so short. Um, and when we are this short, it's not that hard to get stacks in. So C bets become, for me, they become less frequent. Um, they become more powerful. They become s usually smaller and they become less frequent because there's no reason that we can't. And the only reason I'm going to C bet is on um, boards that are far more dynamic or need far more protection. My hand or, or my range needs far more protection um, on this board. Ace high is going to remain likely the best hand um, on the turn. Um, we're either pretty much we're either ahead or behind right now, you know, and not much is going to change that except a King. Mm -hmm. um, 
So I, I really like, and I, I can be convinced otherwise, but I really like uh, for the, the two factors because we're short and because this is a, a board that is not going to change very much. I like a check back. I, I like a, sorry, go ahead, John. Well, I was just going to say with this particular, so being at 15 blinds and not shoving um, in today's poker means that something is, that's not the normal position to take. Mm. So in typical, typically most of the hands that are going to do that on the charts are going to be your stronger hands, aces, ace, king, uh, kings, um, maybe as low as queens, although not usually queens. And maybe you'll throw something like an ace five suited in there just for a little bit of balance. But all of the, the powerful hands there, you know, if, if you have aces in this position, it's a perfect time to check. Mm-hmm. So I agree with Chris on this not a check, not capping your range. Um, the only reason I can think of not to do that is just a large percentage of your hands should have aces in them. So, you know, it would make perfect sense to see bet here just as well. And that's something you have to be cognizant of well uh, of as well. Another thing to keep in mind, you know, Dan mentioned that he is um, new to the game and he's following these post flop charts. I would say that calling here or not shoving with 15 big blinds is more of an intermediate play than a beginner's mm-hmm. play. Mm-hmm. So if you really don't feel comfortable at all, then I would probably lean back towards just shoving it because it, it makes everything a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Um, when you start doing these other things, it might be more profitable, but it also takes more skill. So now at some point in time, you have to start trying and, and trying new things and expanding your abilities. So this is a perfect opportunity to, to do so. Uh, but I guess I am just agreeing with Chris, which is <laughs> never a, a wrong thing to do. No, but it doesn't to poker. Doesn't feel good though, does it? Just feels kind of wrong. Yeah, All right. I'll be the. I'll be the. Uh, uh, yeah, man. yeah. I I like that take. I still. I also really, really like what you said about if you're not super comfortable playing post flop, that this mm. is a way better spot to just shove with fifteen mm. big blinds, and you know. Before these solvers came out, that's what we would have been doing here. So, but the solvers do say with that 15 and 15 is the magic number for not 14, not 13, but 15. So at 15, we can min open here. Um, and so I, I, again, I agree with the two big blind min open, not 2.5. When we do make it 2.5 and we've been called, I think there is now enough in that pot that we can make a small continuation bet here and add those chips to our stack. I think mm-hmm. we can get called by worse. I think that villain will call us with an eight. I think a villain will call us with pocket sevens, pocket sixes, maybe pocket nines if they didn't go all in pre-flop with those. And versus an under the gun 
plus one range, some people won't go all in with those, you know, in these in these ICM spot type spots. So I really like a C-bet here. This is a flop that's really good for our range as a pre-flop raiser. It's very static. Um, there's not many draws. So, um, you know, if we get check raised here, we look at this and how many two pairs, offsuit mm-hmm. two pairs, could could big blind have? Well, probably only ace eight and ace four. And then we're we're maybe we can make a comfortable fold here. I think there's not a lot of draws. I don't think they're ever raising us with an eight, but they will call us with an eight and give mm-hmm. us some value there. So that's why I prefer a small C bet here. And so it doesn't have to be big. It can just be two big blinds, 2.2 big blinds into this pot. I like that take. And there's some good uh, discussion in the forums as well. So uh, Sir Gasleek, who's uh, who's been posting in the forums more lately, and it's great to see uh, them getting engaged, says, I agree with five. Little slang for five by five there, I guess. Uh, you got a, you got a pet name. Um, villains range is pretty wide, so there's no value in betting the flop return in a spot like this. I like under repping my hand as much as possible to entice villain to try and take it from me. The board is super dry, so it's not like you have to worry about letting draws get there by the river. Um, that that feels like the way I'd want to be playing like a weaker ace here, and I guess functionally that's not that different from pocket kings. But I think there's you're kind of that seems like a very villain dependent take where it's like, are you trying to invite some bluffs that then you're going to have to get tricky bluff catching around, or do you want to put them in that difficult position? Um, We got a great comment from the one and only Steve Fredland here um, who lines up on Kim's side of thing, uh, things, I think. And I, and I do encourage all our listeners to go to rec.poker and sign up for a free community account. All it takes is an email and a smile and you can come and visit uh, these forums and post your own questions and respond to all these other uh, posts that people like Dan are writing. And I will say, Dan, if you're listening, um, you're a you're a better poker player than you think, my friend. You've you've already advanced further along this uh, odyssey than you think you have. I think, like a lot of Rec Poker members, uh, Dan feels like he has a lot to learn, and we all do. But the fact that we're even thinking about poker in these terms, that we're thinking about ranges and blockers and how people are going to play in certain spots like this, I assure you, buddy, you are already ahead of the curve. And um, based on what I've seen from you posting in the forums and in our study groups and that sort of thing, uh, Dan, I think you have a a very bright future in poker. So I I hope to be around to see uh, your ascent. Um, So we get this great comment from Steve Fredland in here. Ace Magnets. I like the non-shove open here, and uh, also we're hoping to get the old three-bet shove against us. Contrary to the Wizards, I'm likely continuation betting this flop really small, like a quarter pot, as this will help us immediately range our opponent as I can fold to a check raise, and if they call, I'll most likely have the option of checking back the turn, which is a great point. Um, That is the nice thing. I know John Somsky is a big fan of this bet the flop once and get to see the river um, approach, because that is a savvy play. Um, Steve continues with further that small C bet gets us a few calls from worse hands like eight, nine suited Queens, Jacks, tens, nines. So we have to be able, so we have been able to get to the river quite cheaply and can assess their action on the river. I might even consider another small turn bet if they called my flop so that then they can check back the river. This allows me to control the size of the pot while retaining a little fold equity and getting a few calls from worse hands. 
Steve continues, if my opponent shows great aggression in the wake of my continued aggression, I can easily fold. Once we check and hand them the hammer, we have to decide if they are capable of bluffing or not. We end up being the one in the vice. And I think that's the the point here that I was getting at with gas leak as well. We hand them the hammer of making them put us in the position of having to decide if they're bluffing or not. And you need to be a, 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 a significantly better poker player than your opponent to, to be better at guessing whether they're bluffing or not than you do to be able to bluff in a balanced way. It's just easier and more fun to be the one bluffing instead of the one bluff catching. So uh, as a general rule, as a general rule, uh, any, any thoughts at that point, gang? Well, it, it's oh, not real surprising to me that the person nicknamed Bluff Storini is asking <laughs> for bluffing. Stuff. Go ahead, Chris. Well, and the other thing I would say is uh, I, I agree that we, we, we do hand our opponent the hammer. Um, but I think a hammer is far less effective when we have a hand as strong as pocket kings and we have 15 big blinds. Hmm. Like, I mean... When we, I mean, you know, we could have shoved this. I think when we don't shove it, our intention is to try to get more value out of our opponents. Our, our, we should not really be folding this very often when we start the hand with 15 big blinds. Even on ace high flop. Even on an ace high flop. Yeah. And, and I don't. I'm not I'm not scared of handing my opponent the hammer if I think they're going to use it without much precision. And this is actually maybe the key point in the hand for me, um, which is that we started the hand with 15 big blinds. So we this would be a we would be in a very different position if we had started this hand much deeper and we were more worried about how to get that bottom chip in from our opponent, but we're kind of inviting by min opening or 2.5 xing preflop. Even with the ace on the board, like we're, we're, we're kind of hoping that our opponent is going to think that we're in a position where, where we're not. Let's hear what our friend Jonathan Little has to say and then uh, come back and put a little bow around this baby. Have you ever wondered whether you should call a preflop raise or three bet instead? What do you do when you have a flush draw? Do you raise it or do you just call? So complicated. What do you do with ace king when you miss the flop? Are you tired of guessing about what the right play is with your particular hand? Well, my name is Jonathan Little, and I am a two-time World Poker Tour champion and creator of PokerCoaching.com, where we offer over a thousand interactive hand quizzes where you play a hand and then get real-time feedback from our world-class pros. Don't guess, and don't stress. Just register for your free account at PokerCoaching.com slash RecPoker right now. And again, if I hear that anybody has been out there guessing or stressing, we're going to have trouble. So, uh, you know, just just whatever you do in your own home, I suppose, is your own business. But don't let me know about it because you could have avoided all that stressing and guessing by going to PokerCoaching.com slash RecPoker and trying out their money uh, back guarantee. So give our friend Jonathan Little a try. Uh, it's a great way to get better at poker. Learn from Learn from some of the best. So... We were talking before our break here about um, how stack size is super important here. And when we elected not to shove preflop, one of the goals was to get 
the rest of the chips in from a weaker hand post-flop. It would be great if there wasn't an ace involved here. It would be great if there wasn't an ace, but there is an ace. And um, that means that a part of their range that wasn't beating you before is now beating you. How do we maximize our ability to get the rest of the range to put chips in while not feeling bad about the times that the part of the range that has an ace in it also gets the chips in? How do you guys deal with that? Because I think we're sort of in this position now. It, it, the question now is, with such a low SPR, how do we how do we get well, the worst part of their range also in the pot? And this, you know, this is a, like Kim mentioned. If we see bet here, we're going to get eights to call us, and maybe we're going to get like pocket sevens and pocket sixes uh, to call us. Um, those, yeah, and I agree. Like those those hands, but but what I uh, am really interested in in checking this flop is. Um, unfortunately we don't get this in this hand, but, um, I am really interested in a nine, 10 Jack queen. Well, I'm really interested in a King, but that, that actually probably wouldn't help us all that much, but a nine, 10 Jack queen coming on this flaw on the turn, I think would be lovely. I would, I would be very excited to see that. Um, because I think mm. we can start to, uh, what we want our opponent to have is a hand that they think is better than ours, but isn't. Um, and we want we want to we want to at least be able to get value from them. So we are going to get value from those eights. We might get value from some of those pocket pairs that didn't shove, but probably are a lot. A lot of them are shoving pre-flop, but there might still be some of those really low pocket pairs that didn't shove that are now starting to think like maybe my hand's okay. Um, but I want to get a few more of those. That, so that's why I like to check on the flop. Um, and then, uh, you know, potentially leading turns or, or I mean, betting turns after we're checked to um, cause we're in position uh, when, when we get some of those kinds of cards. Mm-hmm. And, and that's actually the way this, uh, this hand plays out. So um, uh, our hero, Dan, does check behind on the flop, the eight ace four rainbow flop. And the two, the turn comes the two of hearts, which brings uh, a complete rainbow. Now that's a uh, diamond spades, clubs, hearts. And uh, what happens is we get a check from the, from the big blind. And in Dan's words, I decide now is the time to see bet and throw out a bet of 1.5 big blinds into the pot of 6.34 big blinds. And so this is referred to, this is commonly referred to as a delayed C-bet. It's a perfectly valid tactic. Uh, sometimes you choose to just keep your opponents, to weaken your own range by not C-betting and to put that delayed C-bet out here. Um, usually it's sort of a board texture-based decision whether to C-bet the flop or the turn. Um when the turn comes the two, how do you guys feel about the the lead here? I know Chris is this is basically what Chris is kind of advocating for in some turn uh, situations. Uh, what do we think about the lead here or the the bet here? I like it when it's checked to again. I I'd like it a little bit larger sizing, mm-hmm. like closer to a third, like at least two big blinds. I would say into this pot because I think this can be it can be read as weakness here when it's so small. 
like just you're just trying to make one little stab and you might get bluff raised um, here. So I prefer a bigger bet because then if you get raised, it has more meaning mm-hmm. in, in my opinion. Uh, yeah. How, how, how do you guys um, work with that? Because I sometimes feel like I make exploitatively small bets so that I can fold to raises. But then when they, when they raise me, I'm like, Oh, but they're doing that so wide. Cause I made that bet so small, you know, they could be doing that with anything. I should continue. <laughs> and I kind of get myself into a hole with that. Is there just a, uh, I guess just, Sticking to <laughs> sticking to the plan and and using discipline. Oh God, I hate it when that's the answer. Using discipline is such a boring answer in poker. But I think you're. I think you're right. I think you're right. And I think you can kind of use sizing to your advantage in, in that way. And uh, and again, we talked about this last week. Occasionally, you're going to get bluff raised, and you're going to fold the better hand, or or however it goes. But the fact that like we're picking spots where there aren't enough natural bluff candidates on this board to to make that a a big enough part of their range for you to worry about it just treat it as it's a value range and then you can you can sort of make some exploitative folds there right i think that that's true like i think that when you get raised on this sort of a board where there's not a lot of draws in here, yeah yeah that like he's really you can say what it says here but it says Dan says, it felt to me like this guy is saying, hey, it doesn't seem like you have an ace, but I'm going to act like I do. (laughs) And I think that's not the best way of thinking about it. He's he's putting what he wants the villain to be thinking Mm. Mm. into his thought process instead of what the villain actually. You call people turn honest for the most part. And I mean, the the. Big blind could easily have three, five here, could easily have pocket twos here, could easily have four deuce, could easily have an ace and a, and now has hit two pair. Yep. Cause you know. Yeah, it's true. And so. I think that's one thing that as recreational players, we all need to do a better job of is visualizing our, our opponent's entire range in that spot. All the hands that they could have continued with to that point. How do how do all those combos uh, re- re- respond to the action? And I think it's really important that there's not a lot of bluffs on this board. Me too. Yeah. And just to, and so let's just recount for the listeners: it's eight ace four two rainbow. So there's some weird, you know, uh, low straight combos in there, but uh, a draws is what I mean. And, and there's the wheel, of course, but. Uh, other than that, there's no flush draws, and most of the hands that continue are going to straighten on on higher boards than that. So there's a couple wheels and some big blind specials. But uh, Chris, do you have any do you have anything to say there? You're you're taking a very pensive posture. Oh no, I'm just I, I'm just leaning in to read uh, <laughs> some of the, the stuff on that because it's on my other monitor. So, oh, nice. so I'm not, I'm not uh, that pensive. But so as as happens, so we make uh, our, as played, we make the delayed C bet, which is very small. It's uh, less than a quarter pot or about a quarter pot. It's a quarter pot, in fact. Um, and we see a check raise, which is less than pot size, and works out to about a little over a third of our remaining stack. So it is a fairly pot committing check raise. I think we, I mean, 
I don't know. We can get into the nitty gritty of whether we want to have a calling range here at all, but um, most of our hands are probably, if they're continuing, are probably going to be continuing. Well, I don't know. Is that true? Do you guys think those are, we're continuing only with the shove here, given that it's such a dry board and everything? Do we do we ever have a calling range here? What's the kind of hands we want to be calling with here? It really depends. If you're really putting your opponent on a bluff, um, there might be a, occasions when I would just continue to call down because mm-hmm. I think if I think that that is the most likely way for my opponent to get the money in bad, then I think that's a c- perfectly valid way to do it. Uh, the problem is if, if you call here, unless some magic information comes to you that totally changes your opinion on the hand, you have to be prepared to continue because putting calling here and then folding is sheer suicide. Right. So you, you cannot do that unless like their hand flips face up and now you see you are. Totally <laughs> and, 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 you know, it sounds like John's joking there, but that is not hyperbole. Like you do not have permission from rec poker to call this bet and then fold to a river bet without actually seeing your opponent's cars because you are deciding right now I'm putting in the rest of my stack. I'm just doing it on the layaway plan and I'm putting this in now. And if they ask for the rest, they're going to get it. There's not going to be a lot of turn. There's not going to be a lot of rivers where we choose to put the rest of our stack in if we don't put it in now, but we are resigned to, to calling if they put us to the decision there. And that's just a pod odds question that, uh, another podcast episode might do a better job of, of answering, but uh, if people don't understand why they have to call when they've put so much of their stack in already, um, post a question in the Rec Poker forums, and we can go through a, through a few examples of why it's just objectively correct to to not really have a calling range there otherwise. And I think the only the only possible hand I'm calling here with is if I think my opponent is bluffing and I have pocket aces. Right. Like I think that and and it should be so I hope I hope my parent my opponent isn't like <laughs> paying attention because it should be just like flashing neon lights <laughs> that I have aces. Yeah. And um and I hope you keep bluffing. <laughs> um I, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't I I mean I think the only yeah, because like what are we what are we hoping to account? I think we have to either fold or shove here, really. I was going to say aces as well would be nice hence because if they have if they just hit a set with their pocket twos or something like yeah. that they're gonna they're not gonna ever get away from that so there's no point we need to we don't need to fast play it we can just let them yep 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 all right well we get uh so dan uh dan w does put a final comment in here uh hi everyone thanks for the thoughts sounds like people like the pre-flop raise maybe as a min raise rather than a jam and uh, he did end up folding, and I think um, that's that's probably the right play there, given the action as it's as it's laid out. I think, as Kim said earlier, if that bet on the turn was a little bigger, just a little bigger, then you could fold with either, either even greater confidence. But it's it feels like a pretty confident fold, to be honest with you. I don't see a lot of natural bluffs there, so that feels like a value range, a value range you can uh, uh, kind of get away get away with. Um. There's some other great points in here. So Dan, Dan's been really good about uh, posting screenshots of his Flopzilla ranges and his Equilab ranges. 
And Equilab is a totally free software. I say this all the time. Go to pokerstrategy.com and download Equilab. Uh, it's a fantastic way to start working with ranges yourself and learning how to use that part of your brain uh, and the programs. It'll make you a better poker player. Um, but he makes, and it's using tools like Equilab to let you realize how important the equity distributions can be. Um, this line at the end here, uh, he says, if we check back and take all but our aces or aces and ace king out of ranges traps, the two on the turn narrows our range advantage, but we're still ahead 52-48 because they're so wide. However, if we bet small with our entire range and fold out their garbage, the two on the turn actually gives them a 57 to 43 range advantage. Dan says, this was shocking to me as I perceived it as a total brick that shouldn't change much. However, it does give them some two pair combos and a bunch of gut shots if they're calling with all the low connected stuff. And then there's a, a screenshot of the different um, Equilab screenshots that uh, have the different ranges broken out there. So it's, it's a, it's a great hand because it gets at a, a bunch of these spots that we sort of make us feel uncomfortable as players. And I like this notion of having a nuanced approach when you have fewer than 20 big points. Cause I think um, Chris said right off the top, that's kind of a weak spot for a lot of players where we just get a little shove happy and there is some spot for nuance there. So, any other final thoughts on, on this hand? All right. Well, I'd I really like to thank uh, Dan W for putting that together. And Sir Gas Leak uh, for his excellent post in the forum. Steve Fredland uh, as well for contributing. Of course, Chris Jones, Kim Kilroy, John Somsky, and our listeners. Thanks, Red Corporation. Nation.